This program is brought to you by the Practicing Law Institute, a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys, professionals, and accountants at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. Regular listeners of the Insecurities Podcast know that Kurt and I mark our calendars around specific annual programs offered by PLI. Although the pandemic put a hitch in some plans for in-person conferences and the chance to catch up before or after programs at our favorite DC or New York haunts, PLI continues to provide cutting edge content and insights from its faculty, practitioners, and government regulators. You might recall in episode 22, when we shared our experience attending the SEC Speaks in 2020 program via webcast and over Twitter. Unlike SEC Speaks, the annual presentation of Enforcement Perspectives, this year on May 7th, includes faculty from numerous regulatory agencies as well as attorneys and accountants in private practice. This holistic view of the enforcement landscape provides actionable insights to attendees and allows for open discussion on some of the hot topics of the day. We're lucky to have with us the three chairpersons for the program entitled Enforcement 2021, Perspectives from Government Agencies, today on Insecurities. Hello, and welcome to the Insecurities Podcast, keeping it fresh and staying wonky on the latest securities, regulatory, and enforcement developments with a practitioner's perspective on the stories you should be following. As always, I'm Chris Ekimoff, and I'm here with my co-host, Kurt Wolf. It's good to be with you, Chris. I still haven't figured out who's fresh and who's wonky, but maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll have to <laughs> pull our listeners. Might change week to week, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Anyway, we've got another great episode today. I'm excited to learn more about the PLI program, Enforcement 2021, Perspectives from Government Agencies. It's always an excellent conference, and PLI has an impressive roster of high-ranking government officials lined up to speak again this year, including senior officials from the SEC, FINRA, CFTC, and DOJ. And we're fortunate to have three equally impressive guests on the Insecurities Podcast today to tell us about the Enforcement Perspectives Program. We're joined by the co-chairs of the conference, Joan McCown of Jones Day, Richard Owens of Latham and Watkins, and Rob Cohen of Davis Polk. Chris, let's do some quick bios for our listeners. You got it. In alphabetical order, Robert Cohen is a partner of the Washington, D.C. office of Davis Polk. He's a member of the firm's White Collar Criminal Defense and Government Investigations Group. Rob has held senior positions in the Enforcement Division of the Securities and Exchange Commission during his 15-year tenure there. He served as the first chief of the SEC's Cyber Unit and previously was the co-chief of the Market Abuse Unit. Rob also has the distinguished progressive career with this PLI's Enforcement Perspectives Program, first serving as a panelist when he was with the SEC, then as a moderator after moving to private practice, and now as a distinguished chairperson. Rob, welcome to Insecurities. Thanks. Great to be here. Joan McCown is a partner at Jones Day. She is a veteran SEC enforcement and financial regulatory attorney. Prior to joining Jones Day in 2010, Joan was the longest-serving chief counsel in the Division of Enforcement at the SEC, where she played a key role in establishing numerous division policies and worked closely with commissioners and senior SEC staff. Joan literally wrote the book on SEC enforcement when she oversaw creation of the first version of the SEC Enforcement Manual. 
Joan is the president-elect of the Board of Trustees of the SEC Historical Society, which you'll recall we profiled with trustee Jim Barrett on episode 18. Joan, we are excited to have you with us. Thanks for coming on the program. Great. Thanks so much. Richard Owens is the chairman of the litigation department in the New York office of Latham & Watkins. Prior to joining the firm, Richard served for more than 12 years as an assistant U.S. attorney in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. From 2002 to 2006, Richard served as the chief of the Securities and Commodities Fraud Task Force. He was responsible for coordinating the office's criminal prosecutions with parallel civil matters brought by the SEC, the CFTC, the Fed, the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, and state regulators. And he and I have promised not to dive too deeply into accounting rabbit holes today, or else, Kurt, we know you'll fall asleep again. Richard, welcome to Insecurities. Delighted to be here. I'm delighted to learn about this podcast and to learn that I'm not the only securities lawyer who suffers from great insecurities. (laughs) (laughs) Leaning right into that title, Richard. Thank you. Absolutely. And we are going to try to uh, steer away from getting too wonky on the accounting stuff, Chris. I don't think that falls into the fresh bucket, but we'll see how it goes. So what we want to do is start out with a little bit of an overview of the Enforcement Perspectives program. The program is one of a few PLI programs that bring together panels of senior staff from federal and state enforcement and regulatory agencies. Over the years, these agencies have included the Department of Justice, the SEC, the CFTC, FINRA, the New York State Department of Financial Services, leading U.S. Attorney's Offices, the Department of the Treasury, the Department of State, the PCAOB, CFPB, you get the idea, right? Everybody you want to hear from is is at this conference. (laughs) We're going to talk about some of this year's particular panelists in just a minute. But first, we'd like to hear the elevator pitch for the 2021 Enforcement Perspectives Program. Richard, you've been chairing the program the longest among our guests today. So I want to kick it over to you, Joan, Rob, feel free to jump in. But Richard, give us the pitch. What do you hope attendees will get from the program this year? Well, I, I like the next guy, really enjoy listening to um, lawyers in private practice talk. And so that's, um, we don't like to hear lawyers in private practice tell us what the government is planning on doing in terms of its priorities for the next four years. But it wouldn't it be better to hear directly from those government agents themselves and the senior people in their agencies? And that's really what this particular PLI conference is about and was what Linda Thompson and I were thinking about when we started putting this program together over 10 years ago. Let's put together a program, a day of discussion directly with the people who are running, leading, and making significant decisions in the principal agencies that um, regulate the capital markets. That was that, That's point one. Let's hear directly from the government. Point two was there were a lot of programs out there that focused on particular agencies. There were lots of programs that focused on DOJ or the SEC or the CFTC or other regulators, but there wasn't really a program that focused on all of them, or rather looked broadly at all of them, to give consideration to how their various enforcement mandates were going to coordinate one with the other and and how they thought about coordinating their mandates with one another. And a lot of this was driven by the fact that, you know, Linda and I came of age at a period of time in our respective agencies of 
increasing cooperation between DOJ and the SEC to deal with the corporate fraud crises of the early aughts. And so, you know, we were particularly sensitized to, to thinking about, okay, how do all of these agencies with slightly different tools in their toolkits, uh, but all with similar uh, overarching mandates to manage the capital markets and regulate them, how are they going to interact with one another? And that's the elevator pitch. Maybe it's too long. Maybe it's a really tall building, but that's why we think this is a good program for people to think about. It's a good pitch. Thank you. I don't know, Joan or Rob, does that resonate with you or anything else you'd like to flag? It does. And, you know, um, it's a great program because whether you are helping to direct a defense for a client or for your company, hearing directly the insights from the government officials, knowing what it is that, you know, it's easy to know the headlines, you know, ESG, climate change, they're interested in that. But hopefully, when listeners of the program hear the government officials speak, they'll understand sort of what's motivating them, what's directing them, and helps you to fine tune your defense. And of course, as Richard said, um, how they work together. I don't think people really fully appreciate the extent to which the different government agencies interact and work together. I completely agree with Richard and Joan. When, when I was in the government and with the panelists, what really struck me is how much um, stood, what stood out about this conference is that we're all together in the same room or you know now online. And it was a great way to catch up um, with colleagues across the government and talk about different things we were working on together and then discuss it openly on a panel. I think at a lot of conferences, you will see government speakers sprinkled throughout the various panels, You know, several law firm or in-house people combined with maybe one government person. And here it's the opposite. There's a private person moderating, but otherwise the panels are entirely government speakers. And you get to hear them discuss how they coordinate, how they approach the same issue differently, um, and really have a dialogue. And they tend to all know each other. And it's, a, it's really a terrific opportunity to sit down for a couple hours and see in one place, you know, these speakers across the leading government agencies talk to each other about what they're doing. And I like that kind of inverted take you discussed, Rob. You know, one of the stories I like to tell uh, attorneys is attending the uh, ABA White Collar Crime Conference in New Orleans a couple of years ago and, and being around a cocktail table at one of the happy hours and asking everybody what type of law they practiced. And there were two or three associates in a row who just said white collar uh, before we all stopped and said, yeah, guys, we can get beyond that original conversation. We're at the white collar conference. You know, what type of defendants are you working with? What type of uh, you know areas of the litigation world are you dealing with? And I think this conference is a chance to really expound on some of those more general issues. You know, you, you've all spoken about who what you feel attendees will learn from this conference. But is there a type of practitioner who you think gets a lot of benefit out of this specific conference more so than some of the others in, in the same vein? Like, Rob, we'll start with you. It's funny. I really think different types of practitioners can benefit. So for those who are new to the area, um, it's an opportunity to get really a crash course across many different issues and across the government in just one day. You really will be introduced to all the leading issues just by watching you know, these several panels. And on the other hand, people who are very experienced practitioners deep in the weeds on various issues will also benefit from hearing a fairly detailed discussion. And they will pick up, uh, pick up on specific statements, you know, by individual government speakers. They'll pick up on what's new. They'll pick up on what do people who are new to this conference have to say, especially now in the new administration. You know, we have several speakers who are in new positions attending the panel. 
So for the experienced practitioner, I think there's a lot of insight to gain. Again, I think it's somewhat unique to have a conference like this that benefits both novices and the very experienced. You know, Rob, I think that's a really great point because whether you are new, this is not um, like learning how to do a particular type of transaction or something like that. Whether you are new to the area or whether you're a seasoned practitioner, learning the insights of what the government, senior government officials have to say is going to benefit you. And you may understand them at different levels. The more experienced practitioner may pick up on more nuance. But but even if you're a brand new baby lawyer in the area, it's going to be um, insights that will help you think about the work that you need to do. And also, you know, if I could just say one thing, because Rob was talking about a little bit, the Biden administration is not fully in place. And but I want to reassure everybody that the speakers who are going to be at the program are senior level officials who, while the top of the agency may change, the the programs are really run by core career staff that are there. And these are the people that will be implementing policy and, and creating it. And so it's it's going to be a very, very good group of people that are the panelists. That's an excellent point, Joan. And actually on that, uh, we do want to highlight some of the specific panelists that are going to feature in the program because you really have assembled some high profile speakers from a number of government agencies. And, you know, I think Richard did a great job of explaining why it's important or, you know, what is the value of, of hearing from those folks directly, of hearing from government directly. So, you know, not playing any favorites, but just to name a few panelists, you will hear from the SEC's Acting Director of Enforcement, Melissa Hodgman, the Chief of the SEC's Cybersecurity Unit, Christina Littman, that of course was Rob's old job, the CFPB's Deputy Enforcement Director, Jeffrey Ehrlich, FINRA's Deputy Head of Enforcement, Chris Kelly, Jacqueline Kasoulis, the Chief of the Criminal Division in the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York, and the CFTC's Deputy Director and Principal Deputy Director of Enforcement. So, uh, to your point, Joan, some some very high-ranking senior officials from the government who are the folks who really are directing and implementing the, the enforcement programs. One of the, the first panels, in fact, I think the first real substantive panel of the day is called Enforcement Priorities. And several of those people I just identified are going to be speaking on the panel. It's one that I think a lot of people tune into. It's one that folks actually want to pay particular attention to because I, I at least think you can learn a lot from it. But Joan, tell us about the Enforcement Priorities panel. Why do you think that's such a popular discussion? Well, because that is the most, Kurt, that is the most senior people that are within the divisions. That's where we try, within the other panels, um, we try to get people with more expertise within a certain area, such as swaps and derivatives, or uh, we'll talk about legal developments, which is largely appellate work. But the, the first panel, that's usually the most senior people within the agency, and you've listed a couple. And they're the people who I think, pull it all together, make it so that it gives a, a broader perspective. And then we drill down into some of the more specific areas. But but that is why the, the first panel, I think, draws um, so much interest, because it is where you're going to have the most senior officials and pulling it all together and, and probably talking a little bit about what the other panelists may talk about, but they'll talk about it in more detail. But But I think 
that I'm interested in, in uh, Richard and Rob's view. But to me, that's the, the reason. Well, that's certainly my view too, Joan. I've, I've always thought that the, the real attraction of this particular panel or rather particular program is the opportunity to hear the senior people at the leading agencies share with us what their enforcement priorities are. You know, they, they're the people making the decisions about ultimately what cases to bring, where to devote their investigative resources. And it arms me throughout the year in counseling my clients to be able to tell people what I've heard are straight from the leadership in these agencies to tell my clients what they're thinking about and what they're concerned about and thereby help my clients figure out how to um, direct their own compliance efforts to avoid getting in harm's way with the regulators. If I could also give a plug for I know we're both focusing on the panels, which are the, the heart of the program, the, the government officials. But Colleen Mahoney, traditionally, and she is this year as well, is the moderator. And she does a fantastic job of keeping the program moving along and, and really, really drawing out the, the government officials. I, I just want to note, uh, for posterity's sake, Kurt, that you mentioned that that was the first panel of substance. Uh, none of the chair people of the conference have noted that you're overlooking their opening remarks. Uh, so it sounds like they agree with you about uh, when when the uh, when the substance of the conference really takes off. Oh, zing! You got it. So uh, also, you know, we talked a lot in the intro here about some of the different topics that'll be covered here, and, and we've got kind of the gamut, right, of, of the securities world uh, writ large, right? Cybersecurity. Cryptocurrencies, enforcement policy, ethics—you uh, know the appellate work, Joan. You referenced uh, Richard. I know you—you you mentioned up top that you've been involved in the planning and, and execution of this conference for a while. Tell us a bit about how how your team and PLI worked together to come up with this agenda, uh, how it changes year to year, how the topics were chosen, and and how you thought that went. Well, we usually get together the chairs of the program. We usually start caucusing like two to three months once the program is open. You know, last year's program is over. We don't get much of a break. I expect sometime in July or August this year, Joan and Rob and I will be having a conversation where we start tossing around ideas about what should we change? What should we add? What should we take out? And we get feedback from conference attendees that we always pay a lot of attention to and figuring out what worked and and what didn't. But we try to anticipate, and sometimes it's hard nine months or more in advance, to anticipate what are going to be the hot issues? What are people going to be focused on? And some of the panels that we do and the subjects that we do are pretty constant year to year, like enforcement priorities and ethics. But others, we we try to play with a little bit and, and fine tune and, and add some things. I, when we first started this, I don't think we did uh, a panel on swaps and we didn't do a panel on cybersecurity, but obviously over the intervening years, those things have become more and more important areas for lots of practitioners in the space and more and more important to the clients of practitioners in the space. And so we've added those. So we try to think about what are the issues um, that may be new and developing that that merit a full panel discussion. And then we try to think about existing and continuing panels and think about, well, what are particular issues we want to encourage the moderators of those panels and the panelists on those panels to think about and prepare for and address during the presentation. And obviously, there's a long lead time to adding a new 
panel, but in terms of particular topics to add for a panel's discussion, we can add those fairly late in the day. And of course, Rob and Joan and I have the rights to throw questions across the transom over the heads of the moderators uh, at the panelists at any point during the day. And sometimes we save a few zingers to surprise people with and you'll just have to tune in to watch those happen. I like to hear about the collaborative approach and, and it sort of leads perfectly into the next question, which is, you know, whether or not there, there may have been things that you thought about putting on the agenda or wish you made it onto the agenda. Uh, Rob, I'm going to pick on you since you're the, the newest chair. So Chris and I were looking through and reading the bullets to see what was going to be covered. And some things that aren't obviously included are things like the meme stock trading frenzy, COVID fraud, SPACs, some things that have been very topical over the last several weeks and months and we think are going to become enforcement priorities. Maybe those are fodder for some of the, the zingers that Richard wants to lob at the panelists. Uh, but Rob, what do you think? Were there things that that you you wish had been included and maybe maybe it's just not a high enough priority yet? I do think those topics are going to be addressed. And I think when you look at that first panel about enforcement priorities, that's a key opportunity to do that. Um, because obviously, enforcement priorities is not focused on any particular subjects. And as you say, when you think about what are the current sort of dominating themes in financial enforcement today and securities enforcement, you know, things you mentioned have only been on the table for a couple months, um, whether it's ESG or uh, the GameStop trading or SPACs. Um, and I would expect you are going to hear about that at the conference. I suspect that the speakers will be bringing those things up on their own and explaining how their agencies are addressing them. And as Richard said, I expect both the moderators and we will be asking about that. I think that's really the beauty of the first panel, which is it's senior people talking about their priorities, and the priorities are going to be driven by you know what's in the news and what's happening in the markets today. And I think that's what people are going to hear about. All right, Joan, we've heard from Richard and Rob about the agenda and, and how you arrived at the topics. Any final thoughts, sort of overarching thoughts on the agenda? Getting the best speakers is, is definitely the, the biggest challenge, but having the right topics and ones that will be of interest to the speakers. You know, we used to have like sort of a floating panel that changed. Like we've had the, the main one, the first one. We've had the legal developments. that We've had ethics. But we used to have one that sort of floated around. And then we sort of have settled into these particular topics of being of the most interest, the gen general topics. But anything that is topical will be brought up in the program. And we try to give it as much flexibility as possible because we're very cognizant of the fact when we're, we're writing up the, the agenda, um, as, as Richard said so far in advance, we're, we're cognizant of the fact that the, the fraud du jour or the issue du jour may not be what's really of interest. There may have been a court decision that just, you know, sloughed it aside and it's no longer of interest. And, and yet something new is up. The three things that really drive enforcement agendas are one core program areas like insider trading, the, the focus of the head of the agency and the commissioners as well, but mainly the head who sets the agenda. But then third, reacting to market events and market events you can never predict in advance. And so what, what we do is we have enough flexibility in the agenda. So this something is really topical or hot and, and needs to be addressed, it will be addressed. Joan, if I have one uh, recommendation for the moderators of each panel, I'd ask that they come up with a string of emojis that best encapsulate what their uh, their panel is about. Maybe that could be our interactive thing. 
Yes, exactly. S- send in your, <laughs> you know, your your diamond hands, your your rocket emojis, however it might be. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you, you may have changed the program here quite a bit, Chris. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, you guys sitting down in July, nobody thought about what uh, Reddit might say about uh, a lot of this. And, and here we are <laughs> a few short months later, uh, you know, joking yeah. about our, our diamond hands. Let's get into some of the panels. Uh, you know, Richard, one of the, the features of the morning is, is a panel entitled Swaps in Derivatives and Market Enforcement, Trends and Lessons from the Past. The panelists include the CFTC's Deputy Director of Enforcement. Uh, what do you think is going to be the, the hot topics and discussions for that Swaps and Derivatives panel? Well, some of you may have heard of this outfit called Archigos. Ah, uh, yeah. Speak, speaking of timely topics. $30 billion in losses in three days triggered by highly leveraged trading and total return swaps. I suspect people will want to talk about that. And I suspect there will be questions for the regulators and perhaps some thoughts from the regulators about, you know, is this is this sensible that this sort of thing can happen and create these sorts of losses? And, and what are the mechanisms in place, if any, at present to act as a check upon that sort of speculative investment activity and to protect um, counterparties in the marketplace from the fallout when someone places really big speculative bets that have collateral consequences for others in the marketplace. And in past years, I would say the bulk of the discussion in, in the swaps panel has been in the CFTC space. But I think this year there's going to be much more focus on securities-based swaps like total return swaps. So I'm I'm very much looking forward to that discussion this year because we're we're having it against the backdrop of some real market activity that it is undoubtedly the subject or going to be the subject of some significant focus from the financial regulators. A perfect example of how the panelists will undoubtedly adapt to address a big story that we've all seen and been following in the news lately. So that that's perfect, Richard. Thanks for giving us a little bit of a window into what that panel uh, is likely to cover. Rob, I want to turn to you, and actually, I'm going to ask you to comment on two panels. There are panels, I think they're back-to-back, that each cover areas that you covered when you worked in the SEC's Division of Enforcement. Um, first, there is a panel called the Cybersecurity Landscape, Working with Law Enforcement. And later, there's a panel called Cryptocurrencies, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I love the Spaghetti Western reference there. Uh, among other panelists, attendees will hear from Christina Littman. So, Rob, what should we expect from those panels? What should we expect to learn from from the panelists? Well, first, I I expect Christy, who succeeded me as chief of that unit, to talk about what great shape the unit was in when she when she arrived in the position. Um, <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> so that that'll be the first theme. But seriously, after that, I think they're I think both panels are really good examples of what we've been discussing about the value of having speakers from across the government sitting together. Um, Both of those topics, cybersecurity and cryptocurrency, are not unique to any one agency. um, There's a real overlapping regulatory structure, uh, not just across federal agencies, but across the states also. And you see different types of regulators or law enforcement agencies taking very different approaches. Take cybersecurity, for example, a real tension that exists in, in regulation and law enforcement for cybersecurity is that you have some, you know, some government agencies like the Department of Justice and um, an FBI, both of whom will be represented on the panel, 
who are really going after the bad guys, you know, the hackers and the people breaching corporate infrastructure. And they largely interact, not not completely, but largely interact with corporations and their counsel in the context of the corporations being victims of a criminal act. And they are looking to work with the corporations um, that have been the subject of, a, of an attack, be it by nation state actors or or hackers or or what have you. On the other hand, you have you have the regulators, you know, like the SEC, like the FTC, like the New York Department of Financial Services or the New York Attorney General, all of whom are represented on on the panel, who, you know, not surprisingly have a slightly different perspective. And they've needed to balance the difference between, you know, the reality that corporations subject to a cybersecurity attack are true victims, while at the same time t- trying to enforce the agency's regulatory mandates. Um, and that's a different, that's a difficult balance to strike. And it's something that you really see, I think, in, in these panel discussions. And I'd say a very similar context is true for cryptocurrency, where there's no single regulatory paradigm for cryptocurrency. In some situations, a cryptocurrency could be a security. It could, it could be a commodity. It could be a currency. It could be the subject of criminal investigation. It could be the subject of completely legitimate, you know, widespread market activity. And again, you see this tension across the government as it's tried to come to grips with how to regulate, you know, new instruments, new products um, in the financial world and fit it within the current regulatory scheme. I think each agency views its own work as having been successful. But what is difficult to do is how it gets reconciled across different agencies. And so I think both panels are very helpful in seeing those different perspectives discussed, you know, in one place with the speakers engaging with each other on that. I wonder if there's going to be a, a broad reconciliation at this panel. So I'd encourage our listeners to stay tuned for for that and, and be sure to attend as we might see that uh, coming together here live via uh, webcast. All, all issues resolved. I love right. it. <laughs> Uh, Joan, after lunch, attendees can tune into uh, the program entitled Legal and Policy Developments in Enforcement. Again, you, you guys got some great uh, panelists here, including senior officials from the SEC's OGC Office of General Counsel, the chief of the criminal division in the Eastern District of New York, and the general counsel of, of a regulator near and dear to my heart, uh, the PCAOB. It, it may sound a little bit wonky to some, including Kurt, but oh, this panel hits it. on some important topics shaping the, the agency's enforcement programs and priorities. Joan, what should we expect to be hot topics on that panel? Oh, the hot topics. And number one, it will be a broad um, review of what is happening more at the appellate level and, and what is happening at that level. And they will be talking about, you know, it'll be interesting. There have been a number of Supreme Court decisions, how those will be implemented in the disgorgement space. I think that one of the things that's really interesting right now is that things that had always been assumed, like it was just assumed the SEC could get disgorgement without any statute of limitations and that it was a broad remedy. And now, you know, has it been narrowed? There's new um, legislation that you wouldn't guess it, but the National Defense Authorization Act changed the law regarding uh, disgorgement and made it a statutory basis for the remedy, not just equitable jurisdiction. And so this will be the various panels looking at the various broad range topics and, and what is, you know, crossing all jurisdictions and that sort of thing. And some of these things, like, you know, the SEC has some challenges to the administrative law judges. What happens there at an appellate level won't impact just the SEC. It'll impact all government agents, all administrative agencies that have administrative law judges. 
And so really, really broad topics. All right. And for folks who, in addition to CPE and CLE credit, are looking for ethics credit, quick plug here. The last panel of the day is called Ethical Issues That Arise When Working with Government Agencies. And like all the other panels, it's a great cast. We have a representative from the DOJ, SEC, the New York AG's office, and Dixie Johnson of King & Spalding is moderating the panel. So really an all-star cast. Joan, tell us a little bit about the ethics panel. What can folks learn there? Actually, this is one of the more challenging panels to always put together because the other topics, the government officials are talking about their priorities and that and that sort of thing. But the ethics issues, which, of course, is so critical to any professional maintaining ethics and credibility is 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 utmost. And Dixie always does an amazing job of taking the government officials who are deal with ethics issues, but making it relevant for the private practitioners and in-house people as well. Not to mention, of course, the fact that you get to have ethics credits for listening to the program, which is always a, a real selling point for it. But Dixie does a great job of pulling out, such as the ethics issues related to moving between the government and private practice. This year also, we're going to have sort of an interesting, from the state of New York, we always try to include, and we should have mentioned this previously, we try to include not just federal level, but also state-level government officials. And so integrity of uh, charitable entities, one of the speakers is knowledgeable about that. That will be what, what the government um, reviews and, and what the lawyers' roles are involving that. There's been a lot of focus on people who have had charitable entities that maybe have not been all that charitable. And so that raises all kinds of ethics issues And so that'll be, I think, very timely and relevant this year, as it always is. Yeah, for sure. Um, Charitable entities and the revolving door, always hot topics, uh, especially in and around D.C. I did want to echo what Joan said about the great job that Dixie does every year. And the ethics panel, you know, it may sound like something that was just added on to get some ethics credit. But in our practice uh, area, in the white collar area, we have to deal with conflicts issues in ways that are a little bit different from other litigators and certainly from transactional lawyers. When you're across the table from the government, there are many more opportunities when you've got to really think hard about the benefits and the downsides of joint representation of different people who are involved in a potential investigation. And you've got to also figure out how the government is going to think about multiple representations by private practitioners, because the last thing you want to do is to undertake multiple representations in a way that the government's going to raise an eyebrow and and have some doubt about your credibility or your clients. And that's why in in this space, I think the ethics panel, and in particular the way Dixie every year has dealt with these sort of representational conflicts from multi-party representations is is really valuable to all of us, um, including, you know, old guys like me who've heard it 10 times now going through it again with a different angle is always informative. We like to always have our guests take some questions here from, from the peanut gallery. So we've got a few things lined up and, and we'll be uh, looking for quick and gut check responses from each of you. Like I'm sure each of your children or your family members, you can't really you know choose a favorite 
Uh, but we're going to ask each of you, uh, Rob, starting with you, what do you think the most talked about panel for this year's program is going to be after all is said and done? Well, I do think that first panel where you have some people in new positions is going to be most talked about. And I think it also will be, as we said, the panel where some of the trendiest topics, be it ESG or SPACs or, or GameStop or other things will be discussed. I think that kickoff panel always um, generates a lot of discussion. Joan, do you agree or do you have another favorite? Well, you know, it, it is the one that tends to get more of what I'll call the press quotes. And I agree with Rob. I mean, he's right. But I think that, you know, some of the other panels have real insights. And if you want to know where things are, are going to go in the future, let me give a plug for the legal developments panel, because those, those appellate topics are going to be what we're talking about tomorrow. Excellent. Richard, what are your thoughts? Agree, Rob, Joan, or going your own way? Uh, agree, agree with both of them. Total sheep that I am, I follow them both. <laughs> <laughs> Always makes for good podcasting when uh, everyone agrees all the time. Uh-huh. I love it. I mean, I, I, we'll see if crypto Twitter tunes in for the cryptocurrencies That's panel. Because right. if so, it could, it could blow everything else out of the water. Um, everybody will be adding Hester Purse, no doubt, during, uh, during the cryptocurrencies panel. But all right, another quick take uh, from, from our guest today. As practitioners, are you going to be paying particular attention to any agency or individual for their insights? What are you going to be sort of focusing in on? And we'll, let's go in reverse order. So, Richard, anything in particular you're paying attention to? No, and I think that's a mistake. Walking into a panel like this with a preconceived notion of what you want to get out of it and what you want to pay attention to is only going to limit what you learn from it. You got to walk into a, a day like this with wide eyes and open ears because you just don't know what you might hear that might really change your outlook on some issue in front of you. So I never approach this with an expectation that, oh, I'm really going to look at this or, oh, I'm going to really look at that. It, there is a potential at any point in time for somebody to say something completely unexpected and completely uh, remarkable. And so I try to pay attention equally all day long. That's great advice, applicable, I think, even outside of the conference. <laughs> Joan, what do you think? Anything you're going to be listening for in particular? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Richard raises a, a really good point. I mean, obviously, my practice is SEC enforcement, defense. But for me, I, I find that I pretty much can predict where they're going to go with that. It's interesting for me to hear from the people from DOJ and the various U.S. attorneys' offices and hear what they're saying, because that builds out beyond what I could maybe reasonably predict. All right, Rob, you get the last word on this one. Sure. Well, the, the speaker I would note um, as potentially being very interesting is Gerbeer Graywall, who is the attorney general of New Jersey, not the leader of a particular enforcement division or staff within the attorney general's office. He is the attorney general. And obviously, he has a much broader mandate than just securities. But Gerbeer's background is as a U.S. Uh, assistant U.S. attorney in New Jersey. And we worked together on some matters when I was at the SEC and he was there. So his background is in you know, white collar and securities enforcement. So having, you know, somebody in that position, again, not just a staffer, but the head of the agency setting policy, setting directives, um, who has the background of being a more traditional, you know, frontline prosecutor. I think it could be very interesting to hear Gobier speak. 
Excellent. want to lighten the mood a little bit as you guys are, are so good at promoting the program and, and all of the, the panelists and moderators. I know all, all three of you have extensive uh, activity with PLI and, and other virtual programs and webinars. Uh, I think that we're now 13 months into this remote working environment. Most of us have figured out how to avoid the dreaded double mute uh, or other, um, you know, maybe characters in the backgrounds of our virtual screen. So we'd love to hear from each of you about your experience in the past 13 months and maybe uh, a memorable or a funny moment that has happened on a, on a PLI program or another program you've been involved with. Joan? Well, funny in hindsight, let me say of that. Of course. <laughs> um, I, I did a, a non-PLI program and there were three of us that were speakers. And as I've said, it was good there were three of us because it used um, different technology, which I won't name, but it used different technology than, than PLI uses. And um, at any given time, uh, two of the speakers were probably not on. And in fact, at one point, one of the speakers like finished what she was saying and she was looking for the other two of us to comment. And then she realized that uh, we weren't on. Oh, so no. she had to oh, keep And it was just the, I think it was the, the product, the, the platform mm-hmm. that was being used. But um, it's one of those things we look back at. And, and the program did fine, but uh, the technology was, you know, and so technology is great when it works, as we all know from this podcast itself. Amen. Um, technology is great when it works, but when it doesn't, oh, it's the pit. But I will say <laughs> the one thing about the remote world is when I do PLI programs, it is a real time savings. To, I, I, you miss out on seeing people in person, not just the speakers, but the audience mm-hmm. and having that interaction. And I do miss that. But boy, does it save time. That's right. Rob, what about for you? Well, for me, again, uh, I would echo Joan's comment about funny only in hindsight. It was actually terrifying at the time. I was moderating a panel not long ago, and my home Wi-Fi generally works relatively well. But of course, right in the middle of the panel, just as I was finishing asking a question, my Wi-Fi completely dropped the connection. I was completely signed off, not just the spinning wheel, but just completely dropped. And I had a heart attack. What was, I'm happy to report is I was able to get back on and I was ready to start making apologies as dropping off as the moderator, but I found that people were still answering my questions. And when I talked to people afterwards, <laughs> they didn't even realize that I had dropped off. So, you know, no one even noticed. Uh, that's the right. heart attack was all for naught. That's great. Oh, that's yeah, great. If, you, if you got spotty Wi-Fi, be sure to toss your questions to some uh, verbose response uh, <laughs> attendees. Richard, how about for you? Well, my own experience is a lot like Rob's, except it repeatedly happens that I, I drop off and realize that people don't miss me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a Wi-Fi issue, right? Just uh, uh, generally. Whatever the issue, it's been a humbling experience that, you know, technology has uh, only proven that I'm less and less relevant every day. Well, it definitely, it definitely has its challenges. But hey, we made it through this podcast. So I, I guess congrats to us all. Nobody dropped. We got it all in. <laughs> so Joan, Richard, Rob, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast and giving us an insider's view of PLI's premier program, Enforcement 2021 Perspectives from Government Agencies. As a reminder to our listeners, the program will be broadcast live 
on May 7th, beginning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And if you're interested in signing up, you can head over to pli.edu and search for Enforcement 2021 in the program catalog. We'll also be sure to add a link in the show notes for any of our listeners that want to tune in. Rob, Richard, Joan, thanks again for coming on the show. Hey, thanks so much. Our pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Insecurities Podcast. And a special thanks to our guests, Rob Cohen, Joan McCown, and Richard Owens. As always, we want to hear from you regarding your thoughts, comments, and topics for discussion on future episodes of Insecurities. Please use the hashtag InsecuritiesPod on Twitter or LinkedIn to join the conversation. You can find me at CPA, And I'm at Enforce underscore Update. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Insecurities Podcast wherever you listen. Be well, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Insecurities, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. PLI is a nonprofit provider of authoritative professional services training and continuing education. In an increasingly complex business environment where intricate corporate structures reign, insecurities can help you make sense of it all. A special thanks goes to the producer of insecurities, Daniel Pinitz, as well as hosts Chris Ekimoff and Kurt Wolf. For more information about PLI's SEC Institute, or to view hundreds of hours of fresh and relevant on-demand programming covering changes within the security sector, visit pli.edu membership and sign up for a privileged membership. These recorded materials are designed for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal, audit, tax, consulting, business, financial, investment, or other professional advice, and it does not create an attorney-client relationship. Please consult a qualified professional advisor before taking any action based on the information herein. Furthermore, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual participants. PLI, Troutman Pepper, and RSM do not make any representations or warranties, express or implied, regarding the contents of this podcast. Users of this podcast may save and use the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial educational purposes. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission from PLI.